we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we broadcast loud and queer, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and recognise their own history as well as their queer history and community members. The voice for LGBTQ plus youth and music only on sin. This is Loud and Queer. Queer. Hello everyone, you're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. I'm Sammy, my pronouns are they, them. We've got a pretty big show coming up. We are going to be talking to members of the Frankston Jobs Victoria Advocate Program and members of the Frankston Library team talking about events coming up on Ida Hobbit. Also going to be doing some election coverage that is going to be the bulk of the show. How queer people have been portrayed in the media and how queer issues have been handled this uh, election cycle. So stick around for all of that. You're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. We're going to be jumping into an interview for you now. So if you don't know about the Frankston Job Advocates, they provide tailored support to anyone who may be struggling with the impacts of unemployment or underemployment, which we know affects our community. So uh, this International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia or LGBTQIA plus discrimination, several Frankston City Council departments will be joining forces with a range of activities and events. Uh, The team will be offering members of the local queer community and anyone else who wants to travel to Frankston the opportunity to discuss barriers or challenges to employment and study, address any experiences of discrimination in the workplace, places of study or anywhere else in the community, and link attendees in with tailored vocational and non-vocational supports, including Rainbow Tick accredited services. So these events are going to be happening at the Frankston Library Forecourt on Tuesday the 17th of May from 1.30 till 3pm and then the event will be leading into other activities being hosted on the same site by teams from the Frankston City Libraries and Frankston Youth Central. So we have Hannah from the Frankston Libraries team and we have Paolo who is one of the jobs advocates speaking about the event. Would you like to introduce yourself and talk a bit about like your role or just a brief introduction to what you'll be doing for International Day Against LGBTQIA plus discrimination in Frankston. Yeah, hi, um, I'm Paolo Quintanilla. Thank you for having me on. I'm one of the jobs advocate at the Frankston City Council and uh, part of my role there is to support those people who are unemployed, seeking a career change or looking for training pathways. Now, the program is open and accessible to any person over the age of 15. And one of the beauties of this particular program, it's it's open to anyone. Uh, even if you are connected to other services, we are here to help. So uh, one of the things that we would do with an individual is we would sit down and have a bit of a, a chat to see what their barriers and challenges are with those next steps. And we would look to link them in with the appropriate and suitable services available to them to allow them to progress to those next steps. Uh, one of the initiatives that we are doing on the 17th of May is celebrating Ida Hobbit. And we will be, we will be at the uh, Frankston Library forecourt providing one-to-one consultations. And if you're lucky enough to be one of the first 50 to sign up, you'll receive a free Rainbow 
cupcake courtesy from the Writers Block Cafe who have come together and probably put these scrumptious cupcakes for everyone to enjoy. Uh, so other than that, the, the council will be also raising a flag at 9.30 in celebration of Ida Hobbit Day. And that will be done at the Frankston Civic Centre Forecourt, which is 30 Davies Street. And uh, anyone is quite welcome to come along and uh, enjoy those proceedings. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I believe it's going to be giving the community the opportunity to talk about uh, barriers or challenges to employment and study and uh, address any experiences of discrimination in the workplace, places of study or anywhere else in the community. Um, can you tell us a bit about uh, those discussions that will be happening? Yeah, um, any like I said, anyone is welcome to come along and uh, we will be providing those one-to-one consultations and uh, trying to address those challenges. Uh, it may not be addressed immediately, so depending on what the challenges are, we might look to organise an appointment with a person and have a uh, more private and confidential discussion, whether that be face-to-face or over the phone, and to delve a little bit deeper into those challenges as to what's happening with them and uh, how we can provide that support for them and link them into the appropriate services. Yeah, awesome. And so um, from your time in the Jobs Advocate Program, uh, an event like this looks like something that could be a real benefit um, from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, because it's eradicating stigma and um, providing a platform for um, those people that do identify with the LGBTIQ a plus community uh, to flourish more than anything else and uh, and to allow them to to access the services that everyone else seems to be enjoying and so it's just there to to provide that awareness and to and to celebrate the day as well is there anything else you want to add uh yeah i'd just like to again give a quick shout out to the writer's block cafe for um putting together those cupcakes on the day and uh, just to go over the events once more, so the, the proceedings will start at 9.30, like I said, at the Frankston Civic Centre Poor Court. And from 1.30 to 3pm, that's when the job advocates will be available for those one-to-one consultations. <clears throat> and and after that, we will stick around because I believe the, uh, the youth services will be providing other activities from 3pm on to 5pm. So please come along if you can and... Um, yeah, we certainly uh, will welcome you all with open arms. Awesome. Yeah, definitely everyone listening should head along. Sounds like a great event. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Would you be able to introduce yourself and uh, what you'll be doing down at Frankston for Ida Hobbit? Hi, my name's Hannah. I am the team leader of engagement and program for Frankston City Library. So I get to organise all the fun events, including the Frank Talk with Dr. Eves Rees that we're holding at 5pm on the evening of Ida Hobbit, the 17th of May. Uh, we will have Claire Halliday along to interview Dr Eves uh, in regards to their book All About Eves and it's absolutely perfectly fitting for Ida Hobbit. I'm talking about over at 30 years of age understanding that they were transgender and how that affected their life moving forward and the journey of rebecoming, um, and that exa- examines all the messiness of body, gender, and identity, which is exactly what Ida Hobbit is all about, and putting it in the spotlight and taking the stigma away. Um, so we're really, really excited to be able to host this free event for people to come along to at five pm in the library. Uh, are you looking forward to this event? 
I think this will be amazing. I am really excited that we were able to get Eves to come along. Um, I thought we might have been leaving our run a little bit late because uh, they book up and they're so popular. And so, yeah, so ecstatic that we've been able to lock that in, especially for it to happen straight after all of the uh, forecourt activation activities. Um, so it's all available online and tickets are free, which is the best part as well. Yeah, amazing. And um, can you tell us a bit more about the Frank Talk kind of event in general and I guess like how it's been bringing back events to the library uh, after lockdown as well? Yeah, absolutely. So this will end up being, I think, our third or fourth in-library Frank Talk in person that we've had back this year, which is amazing. And they're getting busier and busier with each one. Um, If you haven't been to one before or seen one, basically Frank Talk is our version of in conversations that um, have been done by other interviewers around the place. And we get to sit down and chat with some amazing authors uh, just all about a new release or just their writing styles um, and anything, any major event coming up, we're able to um, hopefully jump on top of. So it will be great that we were able to hook this one in as part of Ida Hobbit. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And you just heard... Uh, Paolo from the Frankston Jobs Advocates and Hannah from the Frankston Libraries team uh, speaking about some of this stuff that's going to be happening this Ida Hobbit, followed by activities hosted by Frankston Youth Central and, of course, Frank Talk with Eves Rees on at 5pm at the Frankston Library. Hello everyone, you're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. I'm Sammy, my pronouns are they, them, and coming to you from Naraga Country, and I'm joined today by... Hey, I'm Laura, or Bailey, or B. you can decide what you call me, my pronouns are they, them, I'm coming to you from Wamba Wamba Parepa Parepa Land, and I'm very excited to be back on Loud and Queer after a few months off. Been doing some exciting stuff away, but glad to have you back. Thank you. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about the election today, doing some election coverage on the show. It's been an interesting time, I would say, (laughs) um, for queer people this election. Mm. What have been your initial thoughts on it, Bailey? Uh, Well, (laughs) I'm pretty, like, sick of it. I think it's just really um, immature and coming from the perspective of myself so I'm a journalist and I'm also queer and non-binary so um obviously having to write about these things and show a non-biased perspective can be really frustrating obviously very important but also um I think what has really bothered me the most is not that there are ignorant people out there although that does really bother me but that journalists are not doing a good job of reporting on it the way they should. And I'll get into that more later. Yeah, no, it's definitely been um, those those first few weeks since the election was called, uh, there was like trans people and queer people in general in the news a lot, but the reporting uh, from like most outlets was pretty interesting to say the least. Mm. Yeah, just, I think, really, like, brainless, I would say. So, yeah, I guess we will go on to talk about how queer people aren't really 
tracked on the census and just like a lot of kind of systems aren't really set up for for us in general but uh uh, I think you had a story, Bailey, about how that kind of like applies to even the enrollment process. The options are male, female, and indeterminate. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I got really sick of it because we've just done the census and the census had like an other option. I can't remember the specific word, but um the way they dealt with that because they were refusing to take non-binary options was to just like randomly assign it. Yeah. And so in like rebellion, so I'm AFAB, but I just was like, I'm going to rebel and tick male, (laughs) even though I don't identify as a trans man. I just feel like if I'm going to be randomly assigned, I would rather be assigned as like something other you know what I mean? Yeah. So after the back of that, um, I got to this section in updating my electoral details and I ticked indeterminate, not thinking much of it. Like I'd sort of just seen it, been like, oh, another one of these sections. Like, why are you even collecting gender? Um, and like finalized it. And then I got a call a couple of days later and ignored it because it was a number I didn't know and then they called immediately back and I was like all right this must be someone like trying to get a hold of me and there's this person on the phone and they're like hey I'm Sandra like asterisk different name used (laughs) yeah I'm from the Australian Electrical Commission and I was like oh hey Sandra what's going on and Sandra's like sounding really nervous (laughs) to talk to me and she's like so I look, I just had to call you. Uh, so we got your updated enrollment details. Like, oh yeah, great. Are they, are they all good? And she's like, well, you've, you've ticked indeterminate and, and it's just come up with a little, um, like, like must verify thing. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. And she was like, so, so you did mean to tick indeterminate. And I was like, yep. (laughs) And she was like, oh, okay. So I guess, I guess we're all good. And I was like, okay, thanks. And she's like, ah, thanks. Bye. <laughs> so she could, she clearly was like kind of an ally or like knew she was like asking an invasive question. Yeah. But, and sounded so like she felt really bad about it, but I was just like, oh my God, that is so funny that, I had to be like, yes, I did tick indeterminate gender. Yeah. And to, <laughs> she has to check with me. She has to clarify, but then yeah. like couldn't just like like obviously it was like would have been super inappropriate to just directly like mm-hmm. ask that. But yeah, very strongly implied with the call in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a very strange experience and one that I could very like easily laugh off because I I could feel that she like felt weird about having to do it at all. Like it's just her Mm. job. But yeah, I thought that was just quite a cute little anecdote. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing. No worries. I hope you enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess uh, to kick it off, like we'll talk a bit about priorities for queer Australians this election and like young people as well Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah what are your thoughts on that 
yeah, so obviously um, surgeries on the Medicare benefits schedule is a massive one, I think, that would just make being trans in this country a lot easier. Um, obviously not everyone transitions and not every um, surgery or medical affirmation might be able to fit onto a gender affirmation definition there would obviously be a lot of you know wording and and things that would have to be sorted out and doing that but I think that's a really key one that is being asked for by pretty much every LGBT organization I've interviewed and the other big one in a similar vein would be um like education and data inclusion so the key thing I think with data inclusion is like the census and also just government forms like generally so IDs and and how they're collecting data and how they're collecting opinion um, would be really interesting and important to see that kind of be um collected more in terms of queer people especially non-binary people and intersex people not being included on lists like that um and those statistics obviously not only being affirming for the person filling them out but also then being able to be used to implement um educational tools mental health outreach um physical health outreach like so many things that then these advocacy and outreach organizations for queer people can actually use to then lobby for the things we need rather than just kind of you know what they do now which is getting anecdotal evidence and then or having to conduct their own expensive studies and then um rolling that out that way so to me those are sort of the key ones so yeah those are some of the key ones some other maybe like minor things you've seen or So obviously there's things like, um, to me, I think depathologizing surgeries, that's not really on the election agenda, but I think that could come in line with things like putting those surgeries on the MBS and education and mental health support, like the, I've, I've heard from trans friends who've gotten gender affirming surgeries that being pathologized, like having to get the consent of a cisgender doctor to get a surgery is um, quite traumatic. And other things like this is a bit more on the agenda. So secular or chaplain-based support in schools has been a debate that sort of is kind of on the undercurrent for sort of the past 10 to 15 years. I remember when the chaplain scheme was introduced at my school in like primary school. So definitely a good 15 years ago so um I think um every time that comes up it's just like a crapshoot of bad debate I just don't I don't think people I don't know I don't think they know what they think about it and it, it I don't think it's a healthy debate and then there's also things like teaching queer sex ed, uh, reducing the stigma of HIV AIDS in sex ed, talking about STI testing to reduce shame and stigma, something that I've um, come to realise recently as well, doing a podcast out in regional New South Wales on queer people in the bush is that 
um, there's actually this big gap in outreach here as well. So there are sort of these outreach groups that will say they're targeting the whole state and so they'll run social media campaigns, but they don't, you know, do the go to the effort of getting in touch with a GP and saying, do you have pamphlets? Do you need pamphlets? Like that is something as simple as that. And I've had, you know, a gay man who's lived here for the past 15 years, who's in his 60s now, tell me that and say that that's been one of the um, more confronting things. So I think, I guess just sort of in that space, obviously that's not like an election, like it's not a campaign it's not a policy, but just in terms of sort of filtering down through that idea of data collection, um, taking those things to where they need to be. So knowing where your communities are so that you can actually target that outreach better as well, I think is just a really important thing to me. So that would probably cover the majority of the things that I've felt recently about about what would be a more constructive way to talk about queer issues at an election. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's like kind of the key takeaway that this segment will probably produce is that... Um, oh, that, no, I gave it away too early. <laughs> no, no, I, we, should, we should leave with it before we get into the movie, <laughs> I guess. But uh, there's so many kind of issues for the queer community that um, policy, policies could be introduced around and like people could be campaigning for but uh it's very much kind of like queer identity is the debate <laughs> and like is the issue mm. for some parties it's such a extreme like pendulum swing that mm. um yeah it, it's hard to see them even being addressed in this way and i guess we should say content warning as well that we'll be mentioning some accounts of transphobia and exclusionary mm. radical feminism and discrimination um but yeah, I guess uh, one of the key things that probably came up with uh, the points you were talking about is like queer health is definitely a top priority this year. Um, and LGBTQ health has outlined like their priorities for this election, um, which, yeah, there's nine main ones. Should I read them out? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the, the main one was a 10-year plan, which was to develop and invest in a national LGBTQ plus health and well-being action plan, count LGBTQ plus people and communities in data collection. Number three was invest in LGBTQ plus community controlled health, which I think is a huge one uh, when talking about how even having to get um, like the approval of cisgender doctors to go through gender affirming care, um, I think that could be a huge one. For just like in a stepping stone, yeah, having at least been able to talk to someone in the context of like a, a queer controlled health context, I guess. Four was prioritize the mental health and well-being of LGBTQ plus communities. Uh, five was protect the human rights of people with innate variations in sex characteristics. Six was ensure the rights and needs of LGBTQ plus people in the next national plan to prevent all forms of family, domestic and sexual violence. Uh, seven was to deliver gender-affirming care in the public health system. Eight was equality and opportunity for LGBTQ plus people with disability. And nine was ensure safe and culturally appropriate aged care services. So, yeah, I think all of that um, definitely will outline some important, like, campaigning points. But mm. 
I think the only one I've heard um, being spoken about by major party politicians is the aged care services one, which is not specifically queer related. So I don't know if I just haven't heard much other positive conversation at, you know, around the election and around queer issues. But yeah, that's the only one I've heard um, being talked about. Yeah. um, The only party that I know of that's addressed it uh, is the Greens, which at the point of recording this just today, launched their LGBTQIA plus um, policy. Uh, mm. And yeah, so they they called on the next government to appoint the first federal minister for equality, um, and they want to replace school chaplains with inclusive secular programs. Uh, they want to address the crisis in homelessness for queer people, tighter anti discrimination laws that remove existing religious exemptions, uh, stabilize the health and well being of queer and HIV positive communities, such as creating Medicare benefits, scheduling listing for HIV rapid testing. A public awareness campaign to reduce biphobia in the community and uh well not strictly outlined they have mentioned wanting to make gender affirming care like covered by medicare as well uh, in response to this petition that uh went forward last year so that was adam bent last week yes yeah he he mentioned that while also denounced scott morrison's like support of catherine devies yeah yeah and obviously the big one, we did not mention uh, the religious discrimination bill, which we're going to have a whole section on. So that's obviously the main one that's been talked about by the major parties. And I've got a lot to say. <laughs> um, a key thing for me is the coalition went to the last election with this as an election campaign, this bill. Yeah. Um. So, you know, a huge faction of them and and their supporters were against um the same-sex marriage being introduced into law and so this was their way to appease that side of things and yeah we know all that so um they went to the election with it as a campaign whereas labor not speaking on it obviously the queer community feeling um pretty thrown away pretty much like i you know, as an opinion, I think um, Albanese's handling of it has been a little cowardly. Um, And I think it's primarily to do with not wanting to alienate their supporter base and not wanting to give sort of Murdoch media or the coalition an excuse to say, oh, they're going to you know, align themselves with the Greens, they're going to form a coalition with the Greens, which has, like, been a really successful scaremongering tactic in the past. So I do think that they are really trying to appeal to their sort of, like, working-class males, like, traditional support base in just not talking about it wherever they can. And so they're not taking it to the election, which is good, I guess. (laughs) But they're also not saying they won't do it and they're not talking about what it might look like, which isn't helpful for voters because they don't know if they align more with, say, the Greens or the um, Centre Alliance or whatever. um, And so it's not really fair, I think, on voters. Um, 
But in terms of what Labour has done, they've, I think, removed like 40 references to LGBT issues in their latest like copy of their policies. Um, So that's bad. Like that's a bad sign to me. And also um, I think it was in your notes that Labour or Albanese himself said Labour would introduce this again or may introduce this bill again and would do it better. And the only reason it didn't pass is obviously because they and the Centre Alliance sort of wedged the issue and there were a few MPs on the coalition side crossing the floor um, because they didn't want trans kids to be taken out of the protections. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm sort of like... Yeah, two weeks old memory, but no, you're um, pretty, you're pretty on it yeah. there. Um, Albanese, yeah, he did. Uh, Star Observer reported that he did promise the the Labor's bill would prevent discrimination against people of faith, including anti-vilification protections, uh, yeah. act to protect all students from discrimination on any grounds, and protect teachers from discrimination at work while maintaining the rights of religious schools to reference people of their faith in the selection of staff, um, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, he, like, similar to what you said of them kind of just removing, like, queer from the, like, even, like, nature of their campaigning, mm-hmm. uh, even in his statement about it, like, calling the Morrison-Joyce government's, like, bill flawed, um, he said Labour was successful in amending the legislation to prohibit discrimination against school children because of who they are. This is a critical step to ensuring their ongoing protection, like not outlining specifically why (laughs) the bill was amended. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it looks like it will, um, you know, it was shelved. uh, So Mm. it is likely to come back in some form. We just don't Mm. know much. (laughs) But my thing is, I think it will, and I'm interested to hear your point as well. I think it will remain shelved for as long as possible if Labour is the majority because yeah, the even the coalition put it off and put it off and put it off and we're so secretive about it and only introduced it in the last like six months of um, of them being in this government and it's because they knew they were never going to make everyone happy and they knew they had to shore up support where they knew they might not get it. And so there were a lot of ifs and they didn't want the humiliation of not being able to deliver it, but they didn't want to also upset, you know, those conservative viewpoints that wanted it to be delivered in some form. So, or a very particular form even. So I I really think the ALP will stay as far away from it as they can and only, I think they would only do it if they had like a lot of pressure on them. But that's just conjecture, obviously. Yeah, and to add some more conjecture, um, in my <laughs> opinion, the the main like group that would be pressuring them would be the Australian Christian Lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes me believe that is that they have also been authorizing some um, flyers and a bit of a like campaign uh, around the. Uh, truth on who is attacking faith-based schools um, as this like oh. sloganing would suggest um, people have been <laughs> getting pamphlets of people such as like MP Trent Zimmerman and others oppose the like Morrison's religious discrimination bill in its first form um, and yeah so uh, Trent Zimmerman there's, there's a, a pamphlet of him operating a crane uh, crashing it into a faith-based school 
with the uh, copy, The Truth About Trent Zimmerman is um, just one of the ones of the pamphlets the Australian Christian Lobby authorized. Um, <laughs> he crossed the floor, didn't he? Yeah, he was one yeah. one of the uh, one of five, I believe, liberal MPs to do so. And he also recently called on Prime Minister Scott Morrison to disendorse Catherine Davies. Well, yeah, I guess we'll we'll have to now speak about the uh, probably the the handpicked MP that might have been uh, in the news cycle the most this election, mm. Catherine Davies, who's we've come up by name a few points this recording, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably time to speak about that. So outside of Catherine Davies' comments. Uh, She's also speaking at an event organized by a group called the Coalition for Biological Reality on the issue of gender identity in law in Hobart in February. And Dee's claimed she had worked with the Tasmanian Senator Claire Chandler on developing the controversial Save Women's Sports Bill, which was spoken about previously on the show. And um, before her pre-selection, Dee's founded the advocacy group Save Women's Sport Australia, which campaigns against the inclusion of trans athletes in women's sports. Regarding her comments, Deves did later apologize, saying her comments were not acceptable. Uh, My advocacy for the rights and safety of the women and girls is well known, and I stand by my desire to ensure we protect the safety of women and girls and our entire community, she said in a statement. Uh, However, the language I used was not acceptable, and for that I apologize. Uh, Asked about her views, Morrison said she had raised very important issues along with the Tasmanian senator, Claire Chandler, who has moved a private member's bill seeking to allow sporting groups to exclude transgender people from single-sex sports. Although he has walked back his support, later stating, it is a private member's bill. The government does not have any plans for that to be a government bill. I suppose I would just like to preface this with, um, or like really my whole perspective is I think that journalists have allowed Australian political parties to Americanize and also sort of the financial systems behind um, advertising, donations and things like that and the transparency around them. But also I think journalists have kind of gone along with it, like this Americanization of politics and using really populist, divisive um, topics that do not actually need to be covered as an election policy and and those journalists like lack of being able to discern that I'm very disappointed in and I'm very I'm alarmed by sort of since I believe you know obviously wasn't like haven't been alive too long but like I believe it's around the Howard era where parties really started doing that fear-mongering and that populist, like, divisive tactic to get into power. So that's what I'm like, eat, this is why I hate this and this is why I think we need to do so much better as reporters and as media makers. Um, but also I'm just really angry about it all. So, yeah. How about mm. you, Sammy? <laughs> well, I, I think you put it very well i guess there's like a matter of representing things like fairly and unbiasedly but then i think a lot of the reporting kind of like toward the line between just like um i guess just like producing trauma for people almost Mm. um 
and yeah, this is even something like Q Life has, has noted increased distress in the community mm. um, in calls received to them. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I guess I'll like bring attention to there's an SBS uh, news article and they speak to Transgender Victoria CEO Oma Alto. Um, and uh, it's a fairly long statement, but I'm going to read out um, kind of what she had to say on the news and like the, uh, I guess, like use of trans people in like campaign fodder. I'll just a preface as well. This is in reference to Claire Chandler's uh, anti-trans girls in sports bill, which uh, Catherine has also been involved with. And uh, I'll maybe add some notes about that, but we've also covered it on the show in previous news whips. But yeah, so yeah, uh, to quote it, it is cruel and unnecessary to turn trans and gender diverse people's lives into election campaign fodder. The current discussion stemming from the Chandler's bill uh, is particularly unnecessary. Given Section 42 of the Sex Discrimination Act 1984 already includes provisions to exclude trans and gender diverse people from competitive sports based on physical attributes. Uh, this is not because we are trans. Political and media con- conversations that demonize and sensationalize trans and gender diverse people and encourage our exclusion have a severe impact on mental health outcomes in our communities. It's unacceptable at a time when government expresses they are more than ever committed to reducing mental health and suicide, uh, end quote. So yeah, that is a statement from Mama Alto there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and love to Mama Alto. She does amazing work and is very cool. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that, um kind of encapsulates it right like it's it's cruel um it's causing harm and to um jump off jump off from that as well it's just how do i how do i explain this in simple terms like it's not liberating women to oppressed trans women and inclusion of trans women can be worked into organizations policies and people should not shy away from that and they should do that in conjunction with the relevant like queer outreach organizations and people should be able to feel comfortable participating in things as who they are and that uplifts everyone out of gender like like oppressive gender structures because it challenges the entire idea of a patriarchal binary gender system I think there is an ethical issue for journalists where you can't ignore it because they are an elected representative and they are a part of the governing body right but you have to do it in a way where you are limiting the harm as much as possible. You are giving trans people or groups, the relevant ones, a voice and you are using like ethical reporting guides and cross-checking. No matter how many times you've done coverage on this issue you know I EP loud and queer I'm making like two different queer related podcasts right now um 
but even in writing a story on a trans woman the other day for the paper I was writing for, I cross-checked my work with the relevant like ethical reporting guide because I'm not a trans woman and I need to make sure that I'm not going to be harming this person who's putting themselves very out there in a very small community and you just have to remind yourself over and over again that this is like not something to play with and this is not something to just like churn out hundreds of articles about it's unfair it's damaging and it ultimately doesn't further productive conversation and um yeah if you have been affected by any of the commentary over the last month um we'll also read out some helplines right now um so you can contact lifeline at 13 11 14 kids helpline at 1-800-55-1-800 uh life at 1-800-184-527 and they also have an online chat and Rainbow Door at 1-800-729-367 or online at rainbowdoor.org.au. But yeah, uh, important to take care of yourself um, in this time when, yeah, there's not a lot of meaningful discussions happening in issues affecting us. Mm. And like to kind of give a queer journalist perspective as well, if there are any journalists listening, um, just checking your wording Um, I wrote this article the other day that was, you know, explaining what cisgender means, saying gender assigned at birth. And I had like an editor change it to birth gender. And it's like, you didn't even talk to me about this and like got it changed back. But, you know, if you if you're a senior editor or journalist or sub editor or anything like just be checking yourself, like just don't. um don't assume you know don't assume that you're putting it into layman's terms that everyone can understand like people can google what gender assigned at birth is if it's too brief of an explanation in the article but I just think it's time to move past this like hand-holding and I think it's time to move past like um churning out opinion pieces on these things from people who clearly haven't thought even about their own gender like cisgender people who haven't even come to terms with their own gender and I just I don't know do you know where I'm going with this like I just think that's such yeah, a absolutely. lame thing to do <laughs> it's just like uneducated I don't know ah. yeah it's like especially like around these comments and like something like comments are based in like tough tough language and like to report yeah. on that without really um you know going into detail about that kind of like ideology and how mm. like prominent people in re- gender research and literature like Judith Butler has like raised trans exclusionary radical feminism as like particularly concerning like uh as they suggested like fascist ideology mm. um and it's like uh take for example the um another fascist ideology like the the reporting around like NSN and similar groups with like kind of neo-Nazi nationalist ideologies Mm -hmm. and like I think journalists some still slip up but a lot of them have gotten their head around the idea of like um being very select in how you platform these especially not inviting like uh extremely like well-known individuals like a chance to be interviewed as they'll like know how to spin this and then 
the amount of people that uh when reporting on like prominent turfs not so much in like candidates or in politics but in general um the t- same kind of like precautions aren't taken and so mm. yeah it like because it's still seen as a debate whereas so much of the science is already saying trans people flourish when their transition is affirmed or their identity is affirmed yeah and they get ill when the opposite occurs so it's not about oh do you get preference over cisgender women it's nothing about that it's about happy healthy people who can just go on living their lives in every facet including being trans you know once they've been accepted and they should always be accepted yeah and to yeah exactly to platform such inaccurate and harmful views around like those affirming and like life-saving processes mm-hmm. uh yeah it's it's interesting reporting to say mm-hmm. the least <laughs> yeah i want to kind of like sort of back up this idea as well of like liberation with so I got really angry the other day after I read all these opinion pieces which are the ones that are making me like angry now and I wrote a five-page essay on why like this like how I see this issue unfolding in Australia and so I'm nuts but (laughs) um talking about like how populist narratives are used to subjugate trans people under the guise of like protecting women and children right yeah and I've just got this one line that I want to read if that's okay because I think it kind of crystallizes the idea also explains I think to any of those like concerned cisgender women how they don't need to be afraid of liberation of other minority groups so it goes like this Cisgender women, queer people, and especially women of colour are extremely familiar with this tactic to disendorse their views and paint them as hysterical. We should not be using them against one of the most vulnerable groups in our societies, and that includes trans women. So kind of just talking about how you're only, like, getting your... um, quote-unquote liberation by subjugating other people and how that's not right and I think that just kind of draws a line under that for me yeah absolutely I talk about the ties between that and just like intersectional Mm. I guess thinking around social issues in general but that's spurring away from the election too much I think but thanks for reading that that passage and really keen to hear the rest of those articles if they come out in some form so yeah that's pretty much uh all of the main like queer election coverage um i guess we could focus on and uh yeah a reminder that this is coming out on the 8th of may early voting opens tomorrow on the 9th of may and elections are on the main election is on the 21st of may so pretty soon now but yeah thanks so much for coming on talking about it bailey Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Sin Media.